The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. 500 years ago, the morning of December the 10th, 1520, Martin Luther invited the faculty and students of the University of Wittenberg to assemble at the Elster Gate. He had received some weeks earlier the papal bull Exurga Domine, uh, denouncing his teachings and declaring them to be, quote, offensive to pious heirs. Martin Luther was not much of a book burner, but as he put it, since they have burned my books, I burn theirs. And so he burned that papal bull. And when he heard what Luther had done, Pope Leo X formally excommunicated him. It has taken half a millennium, but we are back to the days when words offensive to pious ears lead to excommunication, at least from the new church of social media. Uh, to pious ears, this was the cleanest election in history. And the so-called safe harbor date uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. It's just more bollocking bollocks like the rest of the peaceful transition process. But the so-called safe harbor date, uh, I could tell you what it means, but I'd rather stab my eyeballs out with pencils. Uh, the so-called safe harbor date is now so inviolable that actual headline from the New York Times, quote, YouTube to forbid videos claiming widespread election fraud. YouTube to forbid videos claiming widespread election fraud, unquote. The state of Texas is suing Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin over, quote, widespread election fraud at the Supreme Court of the United States. It's on the docket before their lordships or whatever you call them. Uh, the president and 18 other states have filed amicus briefs in support of the Texas motion. So that's, uh, let me see here, that's uh, 19 states versus four states at the Supreme Court. 23 states litigating the 2020 election, just shy of half the states in the union. But YouTube says the high holy day of Safe Harbor Day has passed, so whatever these judge guys may say, it's over. This suit is so offensive to pious ears that it cannot be mentioned on social media. It's not reported uh, on mainstream television networks or in newspapers such as survive in the United States. If you wish to discuss election fraud at a time when 19 American states are arguing election fraud before the highest court in the land, you have to be excommunicated from YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Google search results. Three quick comments. If you really thought Joe Biden had won the election fair and square, you wouldn't be doing this, would you? Because the self-evident ridiculousness of this pathetic loser clinging to power would be so obvious you'd want it out there just so you can hoot and jeer at him the way I did with Al Gore uh, two decades back. Well past, by the way, Safe Harbor Day. And it's a lawsuit. It's a lawsuit. So who knows who'll win? That's not preordained. Suppose the Supreme Court fines for Texas. What does it say about YouTube, et al., that the winning argument in a legal case cannot even be mentioned on the dominant form of news dissemination worldwide? 
Ah, yes. But that's the point, isn't it? Zuckerberg, Dorsey and co. want you to know that they're now running the Ministry of Information. And this is how it is. So get used to it. Because if Joe Biden really is the 46th president, however bad it may seem in early December, uh, it's going to be a lot worse on the offensive to pious ears front by late January. And now, news from my neck of the woods. Representative Dick Hinch, House Republican leader, is poised to become the next speaker of the New Hampshire House, following a unanimous vote from the newly elected GOP caucus. You know, I was absolutely humbled and honored. Um, it was a unanimous vote, it was, it became a one-vote cast. On the morning after election night, one of the few pieces of good news... Uh, certainly in my state of New Hampshire, was that Governor Sununu had been re-elected and that the GOP had taken the Executive Council, the State House, the State Senate, a total sweep. Uh, as you just heard, Dick Hinch of Merrimack was named the new Republican Speaker of the House. He's a big deal in New Hampshire politics. And a couple of days later, he held a celebration of the new GOP majority at the McIntyre Ski Area in Manchester. And the Republicans were attacked afterwards by the Democrats for insufficient masks and social distancing. Dick Hinch was the new Republican speaker for just a week. He's now dead. Here's my governor, Chris Sununu, on Thursday. Um, obviously, we, we want to begin today with the incredibly sad news that a lot of us uh, received last night. Night, um, As announced last night, uh, House Speaker Dick Hinch did pass away very unexpectedly yesterday. Um, and we can obviously all appreciate the sadness that his wife and Pat and, and his children uh, have to feel today. Dick was an incredibly close friend, not just of mine, but a, a lot of folks across the state. I think he was a close friend of probably a lot of folks in this room, a tireless leader, an incredible advocate for his community, um, and uh, he will without a doubt be very, very sorely missed. Earlier this afternoon, the Attorney General's office uh, did announce uh, that the Speaker Hinch's cause of death was from COVID-19. As listeners know, because many of you objected back when these programs started, I'm not a COVID scoffer. It's real and it's killed real people. But on the other hand, I am anti-lockdown because it's a one-size-fits-all public policy uh, that 10 months later hasn't worked anywhere and works less and less. And it especially hasn't worked if the object is to protect the most vulnerable who just get slaughtered in the old folks' homes by killers like Andrew Cuomo in New York and Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, who's just decided to re-warehouse corona patients in the senior care facilities, uh, presumably because he feels he hasn't killed enough of them. So I regret the sterile, boring partisanship of the politics of this thing between the Fauci fetishists on the one hand and the scamdemic scoffers on the other. I would like a wider range of public policy options, which we should have after all this time, uh, because the uh, never quite openly stated goal of lockdown, the total elimination of a respiratory virus is unachievable. And we all know that even if it was, the Chicoms would simply come up with something even worse, because the Chinese Politburo is without moral restraints, even by the standards of communists. And they have watched for almost a year now as we dance to 
their vile tune. But we don't talk about China anymore, do we? I said months ago that we'd all be better off if we cut the crappy partisan parochialism and just kept it simple. China lied, people died, which has the benefit of being true and from a geopolitical point of view, the absolutely salient point. They should pay reparations for what they have done because the lies were a war crime uh, for a new kind of war waged while we obsess on transgender bathrooms, confederate statues. Uh, instead, what did we do? We simply ceased mentioning China and have accepted a semi-crippled economy uh, and shattered social life and cultural norms as a permanent fact of life, as if even acknowledging the real challenge that COVID-19 exposed, even acknowledging the real challenge of our times was too much for us. Chinaman, Chinaman, friendly neighborhood Chinaman, spins a web round the globe, while you're calling JK transphobe, look out, here comes the Chinaman. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got Wuhan infusion blood. Is he cruel? Ask a Uyghur. Global Muslim complaints, Amiga, they dig. Don't mess with the Chinaman. In the chill of night, in your best guarded labs, it's your copyright. But he's in, and he grabs. Chinaman, Chinaman, Hong Kong's gone up next Taiwan. Can he buy anyone? Let's ask Mr. Joe Biden, son, too late. Turns out the guy you prayed for, already bought and paid for. He's just a Chinaman. Okay, that's enough of that. If you caught me on uh, Tucker's show the other night, you'll know I was talking about the uh, Eric Swalwell story. This is a California congressman who was compromised by a Chinese honey trap. And I only use that word because that's the kind of lingo he was talking when he was quizzing James Como, when uh, the two of them were batting forth all the spy lingo cliches uh, by which one could be compromised. And the only difference was that Eric Swalwell knew whereof he spoke because he'd been compromised by this Chinese honey trap called Fang Fang, which is, uh, reminds me of a, a James Bond agent, uh, like that one who throttled men with her thighs in GoldenEye. Anyway, I don't want to think of thighs and Eric Swalwell, um, but it did occur to me that it... Oh, I'll tell you one other thing about that uh, Tucker appearance. Afterwards, you know, every, for the last month, every time I've got on Tucker... I've just had all this uh, nonsense on social media, media uh, immediately afterwards. Why are you still on uh, Fox Stein? Uh, get yourself to Newsmax. You're dead to me. Hashtag Tucker sellout. Uh, do you just like the smell of all that George Soros money too? Blah, 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 blah. On and on and on and on. And then last night, for the first time, there was none of that because everybody was just complaining about my reach for the skies hairdo. And uh, so I commend that to the management at Fox 
as an example of how easy it is, if you're determined to, how easy it is to change the narrative. Uh, so I recommend I recommend that to folks and think they ought to maybe try that with uh, Martha McCallum's hairdo or whatever, and the problems would all go away. China, though, focus, Stein. China is the big uh, problem, and I thought, when really, when you're not talking about China, you're not talking about anything important. So I'd I'd uh, thought I'd have a few words with uh, Andrew Lawton, who most of you know because he's. He's the guy on our show who does the little promos uh, for the Mark Stein Club and Tales for Our Time and everything. And uh, that's not just what he does, oddly enough. Uh, he's also the man who had, I envy this, he had the great lawsuit a year or two back <laughs> during the Canadian election campaign, Lawton versus Canada. That's a hell of a name for a lawsuit. And by the end of, of that trial Canada was lying on the floor bleeding saying no more I can't take it okay Lawton I surrender get me out of here Lawton versus Canada tremendous success great pleasure to welcome uh, to our show Andrew Lawton and Andrew the reason I wanted to have you here was just to talk about this business with China because it's not just the United States Canada too has an absolutely astonishing story going on right now if the Canadian media are even covering it yeah it was quite bizarre so there are really two parts of the story one is that the Canadian military has been training the People's Liberation Army in Canada so showing them all the tricks and tips and tactics that the Canadian military uses so that China is brought up to speed on that but the bigger part of it is that when the Canadian military, amid everything that's been happening with China in the last couple of years, said, ah, you know, we don't think this is a good idea, it was the Trudeau government that got mad and said, oh, no, 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 we, we mustn't rock the boat. You, China will think we're doing this as a retaliation for having these two Canadians imprisoned abroad. Right. <laughs> to which I would say, yes. <laughs> but, but the Trudeau government actually chastised the military for trying to stop doing this. Now, just let's back up on, on, on that a minute, because the ostensible story that's going on here is that China is uh, receiving cold weather training in Canada. Yes. That's right. And, yes. and it's at a Canadian Forces base in uh, Ontario. Yeah, so China is the beneficiary of the one thing that the Canadian military tends to do well, which is withstand the elements. I mean, Canada and Russia, generally speaking, are, are the two leading nations when it comes to training for that. And, and the challenge of this is that I don't think China really needs the help. I think China wants the information. They want the intelligence. And uh, this has been one of the, just the real travesties of, of this all, is, is that we know China has been launching espionage campaigns in Canada, influence operations. We know all this. Yeah, they basically what? destroyed Nortel. Yeah, why people, are we people, welcoming them? Yeah, yeah. People may remember uh, a decade or so back that Nortel was one of the biggest companies in the tech sector they basically were 5g before 5g was cool and uh, and china hacked into nortel and stole it all from them and now nortel is gone so here we have the thing again every explanation raises more questions why is it in canada's interest to help the people's liberation army of china get better at cold weather warmongering. 
yeah, so when China eventually comes marching into Canada for whatever yeah. reason, they will know everything that we yeah. plan to do to stop them. Well, basically, this is like Napoleon marching on Moscow uh, and being the beneficiary of uh, having uh, the uh, trained having trained for the Russian winter at one of the Tsar's military bases a couple of years earlier, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and the thing is, though, I mean, the capitulation of, of this Canadian government to China goes back a, a very long time. I mean, there was that famous clip now in the lead up to Trudeau being elected where he called China his, you know, favorite basic dictatorship because he yeah. said they get things done. You go back a few months and the health minister had said that anyone who criticizes China's coronavirus numbers is feeding conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. even though China themselves had later changed and, and amended their numbers. So there's always been this approach by Canada, especially in the last year when a, a critical stance towards China is most important to say, oh, no, 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 there are global partner. You can't call China a global partner. And the military in Canada understood that, which is why they wanted to slam the brakes on this. But the Trudeau government still has these delusions that China is our friend. Well, what I don't even understand, and this goes back to a previous liberal ministry, because Paul Martin, when he was uh, Canadian prime minister, famously referred to China as being in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, and and it's not, in fact, it's in the Northern Hemisphere. And more than that, the Himalayas are partly in China. So why cannot China? China has very successfully uh, occupied uh, Tibet for two thirds of a century. Why? Uh, I mean, if they've destroyed it, basically everything in Tibet that was Tibetan. So why can't they use that for their cold weather training? Yeah. And that's why I go back to believing that China is not actually interested in learning anything. I mean, China just wants to get the excuse to enter the building so that once they're in there, they can just run around and, and see what's there. And not to, you know, make a comparison to Cuba because of current situations, but we know that Justin Trudeau has a blind spot for authoritarian dictators because his father was friends with a lot of these, you know, mm-hmm. the, the famous example of, of Trudeau's glowing eulogy to Fidel Castro. So, well, wh- no, but, but, uh, when he, the first thing he did after he retired as prime minister was take the kids, P- Pierre Trudeau, was take the kids uh, to Siberia <laughs> because, as he put it, that's where the future is being made. <laughs> So he was giving his kids cold weather training, <laughs> uh, as he would say, in, in Siberia, because that's what he saw as the few. This is like five years before the Berlin Wall came mm-hmm. crashing down. And Pierre Trudeau thought, thought the future was communists and dictators. And his, his son appears to be a chip off the old block in that respect. If you believe that the future is China's, the answer to that is not to get on the train, but it's to stop the train. And that's the miscalculation from Trudeau and any other Western leader that's capitulating to this. If that's the direction the train's going, you do something to derail it. You don't get on board. And and Trudeau is betting on that, it looks like. But in the end, it's that you are sidling or you're siding with this regime. Well, we've had the, the Royal Australian Navy a few years back announced uh, that it was doing some exercises with the Chinese Navy, which the Chinese Navy is now the biggest Navy mm-hmm. on the planet. Uh, and now China, Australia rather belatedly has woken up to the realities of being in bed with China. It would seem incredible just right now 
uh, were, for example, the People's Liberation Army to do training in the United States of America. But given that you've got this nonsense going on with, like, NATO allies or NORAD allies or ANZUS allies, uh, basically China is picking off America's allies one by one. Yeah, and this is why no one is seeing, it seems, the one-sided nature of this relationship, because China's threshold for, you know, who a friend is, is very different than what Trudeau's uh, threshold is and, and what other governments like that of the UK and Australia are. So you've got these countries that are willing to say China's a friend and a partner because China does the bare minimum. Well, China is on its side seeing how easy this is. Yeah. The best part of a billion people in the Western world have had the most stinking year in living memory. Many of them are broke, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their livelihoods, and yet... Uh, there's no real mass pushback. I still remember a couple of months back seeing the headlines and the photos of people at water parks and shopping malls in Wuhan going on with their lives. Mm. Well, I can't go and dine at a restaurant. Yeah. And that is going to continue. And, and because the this has now become a domestic political issue in most countries, instead of a global challenge, mm. people are just having this. And I, I'm sure China is loving the left-wing, right-wing fights. I'm sure China is loving the mask battles and loving the lockdown battles and all of this because it, it takes it so far out of their realm. And we had some politicians, not a lot, but some politicians pointing out China's involvement. The longer this goes, you know, you look at potentially Joe Biden in the White House, there's going to be no holding China China's feet to the fire with that. Canada never has. Boris Johnson, other leaders, they're not pointing out China's role in this. So the reality is that the longer it goes on, the less relevant or the less pertinent to a lot of people China's role is. You know what the ultimate solution, this is the only way we're going to win it, Andrew. You were hugely successful when you did Lawton versus Canada. We need Lawton versus China. Okay, call call your solicitor after the show. That's the only solution we're left with now. Andrew Lawton, uh, he's a great man. You know who he is because he is the voice of our promos right here on The Mark Stein Show. Tales for our time, songs of the week, and of course, The Mark Stein Show. Stein Online is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Members of the Mark Stein Club have access to the full catalog of Stein content, transcripts, and discounts, as well as the opportunity to ask Mark questions and engage with other club members in our comments section. Join the Mark Stein Club today by heading to www.steinonline.com. That's www.steinonline.com. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. This week's offering was one of the most famous poems of the 19th century and was at one time the most famous poem by Lord Tennyson. I'm not sure that's the case these days, but I think everybody listening to this will know at least some line or other of this work. The reference to nature read in tooth and claw or the couplet, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." But there's a passage that suits both this time of year and this year in particular. In April 1829, Alfred Tennyson entered the Chancellor's Poetry Competition at Cambridge University. He won, and in the course of that achievement, he met a fellow competitor, fellow student, Arthur Henry Hallam. 
They joined the Cambridge Apostles, became fast friends, and Arthur Hallam went to stay with young Tennyson for Christmas and fell in love with Alfred's sister Emily. And Hallam and Tennyson had four years of splendid friendship until one day Alfred received a letter from Hallam's uncle. My dear sir, at the desire of a most afflicted family, I write to you because they are unequal from the grief into which they have fallen to it themselves. Your friend, sir, and my much-loved nephew, Arthur Hallam, is no more. It has pleased God to remove him from this, his first scene of existence, to that better world for which he was created. He died at Vienna on his return from Buda by apoplexy, and I believe his remains come by sea from Trieste. Mr. Hallam arrived this morning in three princes' buildings. May that being in whose hands are all the destinies of man and who has promised to comfort all that mourn pour the balm of consolation on all the families who are bowed down by this unexpected dispensation. That was October the 1st, 1833, and over the next decade and a half, as his reputation advanced, Tennyson attempted to write an appropriate elegy for Le Jeune Homme Fatal, the doomed young man of his generation. By the time he published it, Arthur Hallam had been dead for 17 years and Tennyson was a middle-aged man. Another 12 years later, 1862, Queen Victoria sought a meeting with the poet because she wanted to tell him what a comfort the poem had been to her in the months after the death of her beloved Prince Albert. This section is a standalone, nothing directly to do with a dead friend, but a poem for a dying year and a year that cannot die fast enough, which is appropriate to our times after the last 11 months. And the closing line makes it a poem for Christmas too. First published in 1850 by Alfred Tennyson, In Memoriam. A-H-H. Ring out wild bells to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty light. The year is dying in the night. Ring out wild bells and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new. Ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going. Let him go. Ring out the false. Ring in the true. Ring out the grief that saps the mind for those that here we see no more. Ring out the feud of rich and poor. Ring in redress to all mankind. Ring out a slowly dying cause and ancient forms of party strife. Ring in the nobler modes of life with sweeter manners, purer laws. Ring out the want, the care, the sin, the faithless coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out my mournful rhymes, but ring the fuller minstrel in. Ring out false pride in place and blood, the civic slander and the spite. Ring in the love of truth and right, ring in the common love of good. Ring out old shapes of foul disease. Ring out the narrowing lust of gold. Ring out the thousand wars of old. Ring in the thousand years of peace. Ring in the valiant man and free. The larger heart, the kindlier hand. 
Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christ that is to be. A poem from Me to You from In Memoriam A.H.H. Arthur Henry Hallam. Two years after publication, Tennyson became a father and he named his son after his late, never-to-be-forgotten friend, Hallam Tennyson, later the second Baron Tennyson and the second Governor-General of Australia. 170 years later, I'm a little too soured by the daily grind to be much of a peace and love chappy, but I do agree as 2020 enters its final leg with almost all of the poet's laundry list. Ring out the grief that saps the mind, ring out old shapes of foul disease, ring out ancient forms of party strife and the faithless coldness of the times, ring out the darkness of the land, ring out the false, ring in the true, ring those bells. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Robert Fox, a first-week founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Iowa, writes, uh, If you were a space alien watching events unfold on the third planet from the sun, which way would you bet on the state of the world by mid-century? Would you bet the United States would be the big player around Earth, or would you wager... The Chinese communists will be ruling the roost. On a lighter note, I do miss hearing the version of Nine Lives. Oh, I tell you what, let's save that one till the end of the show, Robert. Stick around for that. Uh, On your substantive point, I'm a little bit confused by the question. To that space alien watching from planet Zongo, the Chicoms are ruling the roost right now. They've totaled the entire Western economy for a year and paid no price. Under cover of COVID, they've killed stone dead the Sino-British deal on Hong Kong and again paid no price and absorbed the most lucrative piece of Chinese turf under full Beijing control. As we mentioned, they now have the biggest navy on the planet and they use every non-military lever of national power far more effectively than we do. And the one guy who stood up to them Donald Trump was successfully taken out and replaced with a corrupt husk whose son and brother are quite openly Beijing bagmen. And I think all that would be entirely obvious to that space alien watching from up on planet Zongo. So the question is, can we uh, take it back? Can we reverse this by mid-century or preferably sooner? China has certain advantages. It's a nation a billion strong, 96% of whom are Han Chinese. So it's a conventional homogenous uh, ethnostate. We, on the other hand, celebrate diversity, uh, which is increasingly a euphemism for tribalism. So aggression is directed 
not externally at foreign enemies, but internally at uh, one's uh, neighbours, one's fellow citizens. Trans activists versus feminists, for example, or Black Lives Matter versus Confederate statues. These are stupid disputes, the signs of a civilization in terminal decline, and actually a civilization that in its trivial narcissism deserves to be in terminal decline. Do we have the institutions that can reverse that? Well, we no longer have a culture of free speech. I I mentioned earlier, en passant, the Bush-Gore-Florida recount from 20 years ago. No media organization back then would have dreamed of proposing that it would be dangerous, quote-unquote, misinformation, even to mention uh, the uh, legal dispute before the courts. Uh, Misinformation by the way, is actually a totalitarian word when it's used in this context. Uh, But nevertheless, half of us think it entirely natural and appropriate that dissident views on COVID, election integrity, climate change, transgender pronouns should be, in Orwell's word, vaporized. And a culture that disdains open inquiry, which is our principal surviving advantage over the Chicoms, is a culture in decline. Uh, Can we turn it around? Well, you know, nothing about 2050 is set in stone. But if we spend another 30 years cooing over pregnant males and fighting a proxy civil war through the statuary of the last civil war, if we pass another three decades disdaining meaningful uh, primary economic and educational activity to venerate pseudo-jobs as arbiters of social justice and diversity. Obviously, we're done because we're telling the world we're idiots. And the Chicoms aren't, uh, which is why Robert's space alien would recognize that right now uh, Chairman Xi is the top dog. And if he's been watching a while from up on planet Zongo and he notices the acceleration in the craziness in the Western world, he would probably wager that that craziness is going to accelerate in the years ahead. I wanted Trump to campaign on the slogan, Make America Number One Again, and I regret that he didn't. Uh, But this isn't about land wars. I'd be very surprised. You know, in the Pentagon, they still sit around wargaming. They've got a whole, I think, a floor devoted to wargaming Uh, tank battles on the East German plain. I would be very surprised if uh, major powers ever fight that kind of war again. So it's not about land wars. It's not about shock and awe. It's that China uses all the non-shock, non-awe weapons against us in ways so subtly effective that most Americans aren't even aware they're on the receiving end of it. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. The Christmas season is upon us, and this week's song is the most played Christmas song of the 21st century in the United Kingdom, which would have struck Irving Berlin as a little odd because the lyrics refer to an old slut on junk and you scumbag and you cheap lousy faggot and Merry Christmas your ass. And every Christmas at the BBC and elsewhere there is an annual tradition by which various 
uh, inept radio programmers decide which words cannot be broadcast this Yuletide season. In the early days, it was the word arse, as in one's posterior. Latterly, including this year, it has been faggot, as in an American term for homosexual that isn't really used in British English very much. It's not a Christmas song per se, but a song of lost youth and lost dreams uh, that just happens to be set on Christmas Eve, which tends to heighten such emotions, if you're that way inclined. Conversely, according to BBC Radio Solent's Alex Dyke, who announced last year that he wouldn't be playing this, quote, nasty, nasty song, it's just, quote, an offensive pile of downmarket chav bilge. Either way, uh, it speaks to people. It first hit the charts in 1987 and has made the British hit parade almost every Christmas this century. Certainly every Christmas hit parade since 2005, which is kind of amazing. I haven't so much as mentioned it on air in over a decade since this conversation with Don Black, the Oscar-winning lyricist of Born Free and Tony-winning lyricist of Sunset Boulevard, and Tim Rice, the Oscar-winning lyricist of Can You Feel the Love Tonight and Tony-winning lyricist of Evita. Um, and it came about because I was musing fairly aimlessly, as is my want, on why there are tons of Christmas songs but no Boxing Day songs. You mentioned Boxing Day, which is the um, the day after Christmas, in celebrated in the British Commonwealth, and uh, I think originated is the day you give a box of to your Christmas servants. box to your or to the postman or to yeah. the mm. yes. Now, isn't isn't there a sort of morning after scenario in a Boxing Day song? You know, you had a great Christmas day, and then Boxing Day, she calls you up and returns your gift, and the whole thing. <laughs> you can never find a pencil when you want one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, yeah, don't don't stab me for the piano all at once. Well, the best abusive Christmas song I think was the Pogues and Kirsty McColl Fairy Tale in New York, which mm. is a wonderful record. Right. And I'm really annoyed. It only got to number two in Britain, and I had a hundred quid on it at thirty-three to one to you get do. to number one. I, and it was number thirty-eight or something when I first heard it. I thought this is a marvelous record by the great Kirsty McColl and people I'd not really thought too much about before the Pogues. Yeah. And it and it's all about you know you rat bag you scumbag and yeah. it's it's but it's a great record. Yeah, no, so uh, she, she I loved Kirsty McCall. It's a it's a great song. <laughs> If you ever go across the sea to Ireland Then maybe at the closing of your day You will sit and watch the moon rise over Claddagh And watch the barefoot gossoons at their play just to hear again the ripple of the trout stream The women in the meadows making hay And to sit beside a turf fire in the cabin And see the sun go down on Galway Bay Wait a minute, wait a minute. Tim Rice is raving about the Pogues and you're playing Bing Crosby. What's up with that, Stein? 
Well, uh, that song is by Arthur Carlahan, a doctor with the British Army Medical Corps who spent most of his life in Leicester in the English Midlands, but grew up in Galway and in 1947, five years before he died, decided to write a song about it and somehow got it to Bing, who centred around the world. And the reason I mention it is that in this unlikely Pogues uh, Christmas Eve a dramatic narrative. The protagonist is in the drunk tank at a New York police station and, quote, the boys of the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay, unquote. The NYPD doesn't actually have a choir, but they do have the pipes and drums of the NYPD Emerald Society who turn up in the Pogues rock video for this song. And you know I love musical annotations, so I'll give you one more from right up front at uh, the beginning of the song. It was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. An old man said to me, won't see another one. And then he sang a song, the rare old mountain dew. I turned my face away and dreamed about you. And the rare old mountain dew is not about uh, the sickly soda pop, uh, but uh, Irish moonshine, written in 1882, this song, by a very early Broadway star, Ned Harrigan, and his father-in-law, David Brahm. And here are the Pogues and the Dubliners teaming up on an almost 140-year-old song. All of the grasses grow and the waters flow in a free and easy way. But give me enough for the rare old stuff that's made near Galway Bay. Come gougers all from Donegal, Sligo and Leitrim too. And we'll give them the slip and we'll take a sip of the rail of a mountain dew. Skiddy idle little dumb, skiddy idle little dumb, skiddy I'm a dirty little dumb day. Skiddy idle little dumb, skiddy idle little Maybe BBC disc jockey Alex Dyke is right and this hugely popular UK Christmas hit is just uh, an offensive pile of downmarket chav bilge. But I think what elevates it from uh, just the usual Brits on the piss puke along is the precision of its imagery. I confess that until uh, Tim mentioned it, I'd never attended to the number in any detail. The song is written by the Pogues' Jem Finer and Shane McGowan, and I think the vividness of the scene, uh, of the drama, is very skillfully done in the text here. Christmas Eve, Sinatra is swinging, the drunks are sleeping it off, and here are Kirsty McCall and the Pogues and the fairy tale of New York. It was Christmas Eve, babe, and drunk tank an old man said to me won't see another one and then he sang a song the rare old mountain dew I turned my face away and dreamed about you God I
So briefly, mocking my idea for a Boxing Day smasheroo back there, has a brand new and uh, marvellous memoir out, very unusually structured. It's called The Sanest Guy in the Room. It's a bestseller in Britain. It makes a terrific Christmas present, and I'm, I, play, uh, I played a modest role in it, which Don and I will be talking about later this month. Um, I, w- I want to say something about Kirsty McCall, too. Kirsty was the daughter of Ewan McColl, who wrote a very great song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. And she was a very talented singer-songwriter in her own right. Kirsty died an appalling death on vacation in Mexico 20 years ago. She and her sons were diving and surfaced to find a powerboat that should not have been in that area coming straight at them. Uh, Kirsty shoved her kids out of the way with all the force a mother has, and the boat hit her head on. It belonged to a big-shot Mexican businessman, said to be at the wheel, but they supposedly paid an impoverished deckhand to take the rap. You know how it goes. That will do it for today's show. Happy Hanukkah to our Jewish listeners around the world. And uh, whether you celebrate Hanukkah or Christmas or anything else, please keep our dear friend Kathy Shadel in your prayers. 
She is such an important part of what we do here. We all love her at this end, and we know you love her too. And in among all the rubble and ruin of this dreadful year, please hold her in your hearts at this time as we do. Robert Fox was our missive of the day in Mark's mailbox, and he concluded by writing, I do miss hearing the version of Nine Lives with the John Barry flair at the end of your shows. Would love to hear it again sometime soon. Nah, sorry, Robert, no can do. It's a COVID thing. The science uh, says the Mark Stein Show theme tune is highly infectious in all the wrong ways. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights reserved.